When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest edition of Until Saturday. It's the first episode where I'm sitting uh, crisscross applesauce on a bed in California, but we're going to make it work. Um, the second we decided to, to do this podcast, a person with a weed whacker showed up at the rental house that I'm at, and it is loud. So this is the uh, quietest room that we can find. Um, if you can see, we have TJ Maxx artwork behind me if you're subscribed to the YouTube channel. Um, and I'm joined today by Dave Ubbin to talk about lessons that we've learned. And I think one lesson that I should have learned is maybe don't sign up for podcasts while you're on vacation and you don't know what situation you're in. Dave, uh, good to have you here. Uh, sorry about the way this all looks. We're going to make it happen. I'm excited for the show. I think there's a lot to learn from last year. So you're not on a boat right now? I assumed that you were. It looked like you're sitting on, I don't know, the bow, the stern. I'm not a nautical guy. It's like the uh, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall when he kept changing the background. I'm on a boat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, we got to have you podcast uh, as a as a kitten one time, uh, Ari. Yeah, iron your shirts, even your t-shirts. <laughs> um, before we get into it, though, Dave, I always got to do my spiel, uh, and that spiel is um, please, 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 please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it, Apple, Spotify, uh, Amazon, Stitcher, whatever. Please leave a five-star review, um, and... If you want to watch me in a weird, inconvenient sitting situation, sitting on a mattress that wants to be memory foam, but has lost its memory, uh, go to the YouTube channel and the link can be found in the show's description here. Again, what we're going to be talking about today is lessons that we learned from 2022 that can be carried over into 2023. Um, we both submitted a few of our own and we had very little overlap, which means that there was a lot to learn from last year. And I'm excited to get into it. So, Dave, um, why don't you do the honors mm -hmm. here and give us your first lesson from last year that we we need to remember and learn from heading into this season? Well, Ari, I'm glad you're sitting down because we need to have a tough conversation. All right. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to say the three words that trigger you more more than any uh, on planet Earth. Well, you're already wrong. <laughs> but Ari, let me is try it to possible? guess your. Can I guess it? Can I guess? Are you going to say no, no, that no, you don't no have guessing. to? No guessing. Okay. Just please. Is it if possible? You, I'm shutting the podcast off if you say what you, I think you're going to say. Is it possible that maybe total talent might not be or, or the might not limit teams as much as you might think they do in the portal era and in the playoff era and that there are ways around cheating your total talent level and doing more than maybe had previously been possible. I buy that. I mean, TCU did it. So you yes. can't act. This is like, a TCU argument. They did yeah. something that I think we both, I don't know that I think you would have said it was impossible uh, this time last year, not them specifically, but just them TCU as a concept, a team that ranked what 32nd in total talent composite getting the national championship. Yeah. I would have said you would have needed 
all of the breaks that TCU got. The Big 12 was down a little bit last year. TCU won a bunch of dramatic games. Then they get into the playoff, uh, despite losing in the Big 12 championship, which is kind of amazing on its own. And then Michigan, uh, just a, you know, a, a parade of errors um, to help them win that game. And they get to the national championship where stars certainly did matter. I think that was a very obvious uh, takeaway from that game. But I think it, it made me reassess in the portal era that you could have a new coach taking over a five and seven team coming in, uh, adding a couple guys. Johnny Hodges was a big pickup for them. Um, having a couple guys come out of nowhere. Um, but they did have a lot of NFL time on that team. Max Duggan, Quentin Johnson, you know, I think Kendra Miller, uh, you know, we'll have a nice little future there as well. We'll see. But they, I think TCU last year stretched the limit of what might be possible if you are not in that blue chip ratio. Okay. I'm going to try uh, really hard to be like, yeah, dude, you're right. Um, and you are. There's no question that they were able to use the portal. They, I think they had like three or four scholarship defensive linemen heading into the spring before last year. Mm -hmm. And then they got four or five guys to, you know, I mean, they, they brought in important pieces through the portal that turned out to be important enough to help them win games at a unprecedented level for a program that is at that talent level. They made it to the national championship game and they did everything that you said that they just did. So for me, it would be disingenuous to sit here right now and act like um, a team that isn't as talented on paper um, can play for a national championship because it just happened. That said, um, how much of that is portal and how much of that was just incredible circumstances and a job well done by a coach um, at TCU while also having the most advantageous possible path to the mm -hmm. national championship game a team could ever have? Like, I think that like last year uh, when push came to shove and they finally played a team in a stars matter game, they weren't even competitive, you know, um, and they lost their conference championship game and they beat Michigan, a team that isn't in that pantheon of stars, uh, the wealth of stars that you would find at a Georgia, Alabama or Ohio State. Um, it all perfectly lined up to give us a result that we have not seen before. Um so I don't know how much of it is portal neutralized everything or how much of it was perfect storm of of circumstance that allowed them to have a Cinderella run. Maybe it's a little bit of a combination of both. Yeah, I think but it is. I don't think I look at TCU from last year and change my mind on who I think can win a national championship. <clears throat> but if mm -hmm. the lesson here is which if you're a good team that is well coached by a by a guy like Sonny Dykes and you you know, get through your conference, which is kind of down last year with Oklahoma not being who it is. Um, you don't even win your own conference. You lose in the conference championship game, and then you don't play a monster in the first round of the of the semifinal and then make it to the championship game. Then, like, yeah, I mean, it, it was just a incredible run of circumstance for them as much mm -hmm. as it was an incredible run of, of playing well. And I don't want to diminish what TCU did because it was certainly unbelievable, but they don't change my mind in terms of like what it takes to win a national championship. They weren't even close to winning it. They were on a field because of the circumstances that led them there, not because, you know, they they were some sort of, you know, exception to the rule that talent matters. Um, does that make sense? Like, I don't know if that's... Yeah, uh, I mean, I think TCU is... They're a complicated conversation because they got further than we ever could have expected. 
And then they got humbled in a more dramatic way. I mean, Ari, even you had to be like 58 points, guys. My gosh. (laughs) That's a lot of points to lose by. I thought the spread was the easiest spread of the year. Yeah, that's fair. But the spread was only like 12 or 13, wasn't it? It was 17, wasn't it? I don't know. They had to win by three scores. by game time. I just think, think that TCU has opened up a world of possibility that... You have to entertain the possibility, which you didn't before. You know, let me read. All right, let me read to you the list of teams that are receiving votes in this year's preseason poll. Texas Tech, South Carolina, UCLA, UTSA, Arkansas, Boise State, Pitt, Kentucky, Louisville, Troy, KU. Uh, no, that's incorrect, actually. They, they voted wrong. But Auburn, Minnesota, Toledo, Duke, Mississippi State, Florida, Illinois, Baylor, Coastal, Southern, South Alabama, NC State, James Madison, Liberty. Like, imagine one of those teams playing for a national title in January. It's hard to think about that and say, oh, I could see that now. But like, you have to sort of entertain, well, I guess it's theoretically possible. We literally just saw it. I don't know if you read Bruce's story about Michigan. Um, mm-hmm, I did. Ran, I think last year I was the lead of the story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, did you have that make notion, you feel, Ari? Uh, he called me and made sure that I was okay with it first. He's a good, he's a classy guy. <laughs> Nothing offensive. It's my actual stance. So Mm -hmm. um, Michigan is the type of team that gets me scratching my head. And I think this is a good segue into my number one. And Mm -hmm. we have one similar point, uh, and I'll get to that when we get to it. But my number one is Michigan isn't a fluke and deserves to be taken seriously. Um, You might have been able to think like, hey, that one year they finally got over the hump on Ohio State, beat them. Uh, on their home floor, Ohio State was soft that year. They got their year, but you know, Michigan isn't a fluke. And the reason why I bring this up right now uh, to put a you know bow on yours is Michigan is the perfect type of team that would be the ideal exception to that rule. Not any of the teams that you just read off at, in the top twenty-five receiving votes section. It's a team that's actually really, really talented because they developed well. Could have more than ten draft picks this year and are playing in a sport. That doesn't have a bona fide program that is proven to be exceptional already. All of the big time programs that they're going to have to, to to beat to win a national championship this year: Alabama in their quarterback situation, Georgia in their quarterback situation, and Ohio State in their quarterback situation. There's no complete super team right now as we know it. Mm-hmm. Now, by the end of the year, I'm sure one of those three teams is going to turn out to be a monster uh, because that's the way talent works. But there is a window or a sliver of opportunity from coming into the season from that standpoint where a team like Michigan, who has a ton of draft picks on it, is older, is experienced, and is the best iteration of a, of a team that's been to the playoff two years in a row now, could win a national championship because their talent uh, matched up with a, a season where the big dogs are, are kind of limping coming into the year, uh, is that opportunity. So, I think Michigan isn't a fluke. That's my number one. But I also think like Michigan would be a huge exception to the talent rule, but also they're probably way more equipped to do it than say TCU was last year or any of the 20 teams you just named off as receiving votes. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think so. I I think um, that's definitely true. I I don't remember a time that one team has changed the circumstances and the perception of a coach so quickly in two games. (laughs) I mean, I, I think the, the the what Michigan has done to Ryan Day's, uh, I'm not going to say legacy, but perception and circumstance at Ohio State, I don't remember another team doing that in which you have a guy who 
is sort of accepted as like this is the next guy. And then in two years, you know, I don't I don't know that we can say he's necessarily on the hot seat, but like don't lose to Michigan again. And especially don't get beat up in the in the trenches by Michigan again, or else there might be some real conversations being had. Uh, again, we've talked about this before, but you don't want your name associated with John Cooper if you're if you're Ohio State's head coach. Yeah. That's the reality of the situation. And well, think about how much Jim Harbaugh's reputation is, has changed in those two games as well. Well, but, uh, but I think Jim Harbaugh is finally doing what everyone – if you told me that, that what they were doing now was going to happen in year three and year four when he took that job, I would have said, yeah, probably. We've seen this before. Yeah. It's weird that it was not going to happen. It was not going to happen. And Bruce also had a nice story on how they flipped it, but like – and now it's happening, but I think so. Like he's changed it somewhat, but he's sort of doing what almost everyone thought he would do, just a little bit later than he's than he do it. But I mean, that Michigan is you know the personification right now of the Stanford intellectual brutality. You know that's what they are. Yeah, well, you know the thing that is uh, fascinating to me is that Michigan has uh, two or three. I mean, I think four players on Bruce's freak list. Mm-hmm. Um, that he released on Tuesday, August 15th. And that's obviously a staple of of preseason college football coverage. I urge everybody to read at The Athletic. Um, but four guys on that list, and none of them are J.J. McCarthy or Blake Corum or some of the guys that you know are the names that we know from that team. You match that up with the idea that they're playing Penn State uh, on the road and Ohio State at home. Uh, they win one of those games or both of those games. They make the college football playoff again. And then you have first-year starter quarterback at, at one of the other teams. Like if Michigan was ever going to win a national championship with the stars situated the way that they are, because they're dwarfed in the blue chip ratio. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Alabama's blue chip ratio is ninety percent, and Michigan's is like fifty-three percent. Like they're not even close to what you would need to be. So the hope is that these three-star freaks on this list change the numbers and change the perception of how I view it. So um, to to me, I think these are two good number one points because Michigan to me might be the team that actually props up your number one point. And mm-hmm. then my number one point obviously is to take them seriously. So they're just really good, man. And it just has to be said. So, uh, you know, I'm happy that we're in a position now where we can acknowledge that. Uh, and we're, I'm excited to see if they can actually do it because no team has won a national championship in the playoff era. That isn't uh, one of the top three teams in the um, composite ratings. I think Clemson might've done it one year, but that was like the Deshaun Watson year. So, Mm-hmm. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Next point for you, Dave. 
I remember the uh, halcyon days of conference realignment when schools would be very sad about, oh, we can't leave our in-state rival behind. We can't, uh, we can't do this. Uh, they were torn on making these decisions. My take is loyalty is dead. Uh, whatever you think may influence realignment decisions and schools deciding for the future, money is driving all this. Nobody's even trying to convince you of otherwise. Uh, you know, Washington leaves Washington State in the dust without a second thought. Oregon leaves Oregon State in the dust without a second thought. Uh, USC and UCLA saying peace out to Cal and Stanford. I, you know, I remember a lot of these moves, you know, in the state of Texas, you know, sorting through, um, you know, there was a lot of hurt feelings, you know, when the when the Southwest Conference broke up. And then you have the Big 12 when, when Texas is sort of figuring out what they were going to do. Texas A&M leaves. A lot of stuff, a lot of conflicting, um, you know, Situations. I mean, you know, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, uh, when they still had their leadership uh, intact with their president and, and AD, they were aligned. They were convinced that they were going to be together wherever they went. Not anymore. That doesn't matter anymore. Uh, so I hope that we can do away with the idea that anything except for our school's bottom line is going to influence anybody's decision and any realignment decision uh, moving forward. Because now that obviously we have a bi-coastal Big Ten uh, uh, a, we're trending toward a bi-coastal ACC. You know, nothing matters except the money. I think there were always other things that maybe people wanted to pretend mattered, but I'm not sure that's happening. Yeah, and I wish there was something for me to add to that. It's just anybody who's been paying attention for college football and the changes that have you know happened in the last month, uh, I think had a front row seat to the point that you're making there. So you know, I'm with you. It's a shame. Um, mm-hmm. I, the one thing I will miss, you know, and we can debate the expanded playoff and, you know, rule changes and all the stuff that comes and goes with the sport. The one thing that I will unequivocally miss, um, and I think will make the sport worse is the lack of geographical tribalism that, you know, um, used to be such a main cornerstone of fanhood. Like, mm-hmm. I do think that, you know, the SEC chance that everybody loves so much, you know, was the South standing up and, and rooting with the South, you know, and I, I know that, you know, Southern teams are still going to win championships and, you know, the SEC is still by and large the South, um, you know, but I just wish it was North versus South versus East versus West. And it's just never going to be that again. And I think that that stinks and it's all yeah. because of the point that you made. I think if you're looking to the future and looking for what realignment might happen in the, in the, in the future, it's because you've had re- relationships century long, however long you think they've been. They don't matter. Don't think they matter. They don't. And obviously the money is getting more and more uh, vast, you know, mm-hmm. and this is a very important time to, you know, as we veer on towards the super conference thought process, you know, it's kind of like getting on a boat, a uh, life raft when it's on a sinking ship. You know, it's like, I love you or I like you. We've had a long history together, but like, it's like eat or be eaten, kill or be killed. Mm -hmm. Um, And when people see an opportunity to go get their paychecks and preserve their program and their universities, um, you know, financial windfall, then there's no hard feelings. It's just, you know, all's fair in love and war and conference expansion now. Um, And I think that the result of it is going to be a worse sport, but, you know, I don't want to make people cry today. Okay. Uh, (laughs) My number two is... Brian Kelly is for real at LSU. And I will be the first to admit when Brian Kelly took the job, I understood completely why he left Notre Dame for that job. Um, He maxed out what Notre Dame could be 
from a talent perspective. Uh, they went to multiple college football playoffs, you know, ended up losing, you know, pretty handily to Alabama. Um, and it's just the writing was on the wall that, you know, with the academic, you know, situation there and the geographical challenges that Notre Dame faces, it was just going to be impossible for him to assemble a roster that was talented enough to win a national championship. And the only thing that he had left to do um, was to win that. So what does he do? He takes a big raise, gets a God contract. He goes down to Louisiana, a place that I believe has won a national championships with each of its last three coaches, mm-hmm. Nick Saban, Ed Orgeron, and uh, uh, Les Miles. Miles. This is a place that does football very well. It's not a, it's not a, a coaching thing. Um, it's a place thing. Uh, and the reason why is because it is the only gig in town for one of the most densely top populated um, areas for talent in the country. Um, and I was kind of worried, like, hey, is this guy going to fit into Louisiana? You know, this family accent thing that everyone was making fun of. Was that like a symptom of not getting how to assimilate to a new culture? Um, and I think that he has proven to be just a damn good football coach. I mean, say what you want about him, but marrying LSU and Brian Kelly kind of seems like a national championship is an inevitability at some point. Um, and you're really high on them coming into this year. But when I saw them beat uh, Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, and Arkansas in four straight wins last year, um, I know it didn't really finish the way that they wanted it to uh, with uh, two consecutive losses to A&M and Georgia. But, you know, there was a chance there for a while that they could have snuck into the playoff even after, uh, you know, losing to Tennessee. So I, I think that I saw a lot out of him last year that makes me think this isn't going to be a disaster. In fact, I think that a championship at some point in the next five years seems like an inevitability. Can you get on board with that? Yeah. I First of all, I agree with you. I think it might happen this year. I'm, I am i don't understand what the what the issue with the perception of LSU is in 2023, like in the immediate future. The guy walks into the SEC, wins the SEC West in his first year, despite the fact that Bama has a returning Heisman winner, brings back just about everybody. I mean, they didn't lose a ton. Kayshawn Booty was had a real up and down last year. They should bring back, you know, obviously Harold Perkins, Jane Daniels, Malik Neighbors. All these guys make a couple nice additions in the portal. And then Bama loses a Heisman winner at quarterback, loses Will Anderson um, on the short list of most disruptive defenders in the country. And we're supposed to be debating on who's going to win the West? What? I, I, I truly am baffled at this offseason conversation that we're debating this. Like, LSU seems clearly the better team to me. So what is it that baffles you that we don't treat LSU with the respect that a team like Alabama would get? Both. There's a lot of folks. Are, I think the SEC preseason bowl had Bama ahead of LSU. And I, okay, I, I think it's just a, I think it's a Saban thing. So the, I'm just going to go down. We're going to re-snake because my, th- my point three or my lesson mm-hmm. three um, kind of mirrors this or, or goes with this. My lesson three is Alabama does not have the benefit of the doubt anymore. Um, and I wonder if you'll debate me on this, but last year, if the college football playoff committee wanted to put Alabama into the playoff, they could have done it mm-hmm. like, and maybe if this uh, were two years ago and the same circumstances happened, they would have, um, and they didn't. I think that there is a certain level of, you know, heading into the season. And I think that's been most accentuated by you. Uh, on this podcast feed of of doubting whether or not they're going to be as good as people think they're going to be. And, you know, that right is perfect segue to what you just said of um, maybe this point would have been even more right if they weren't picked to win the West. 
you know, maybe that's the benefit of the doubt. But I think with the college football playoff committee and Alabama's run, that there is just an understanding and an assumption that they are so incredibly talented and so incredibly deep that even if they have a disappointing season, that the college football playoff committee wants to bend over backwards to include them in the dance at the final four. And I think that last year uh, proved that that's no longer the case. And I don't believe that it ever was. So going into this year, Alabama is going to have to earn every single thing that it gets. And yes, people in the media might've voted for them to win the sec West, but LSU was sitting right there. And if Alabama is going to be in the playoff this year, they're going to have to go out and earn that shit, you know, wholesale. You know what I mean? And that to me is like the perception around Alabama is certainly, you know, say what you want about that preseason poll of, of expecting to win the West. People are not looking at Alabama the same way that they did a year or two ago. I think we're at a point where you're somewhat right, but I think that there's a delineation of people that are paying attention and people that are not. I think there's a lot of people that maybe they don't pay attention to college football, you know, year round. And they say, well, I think Alabama's going to make the playoff. I think they're going to, you know, win the West. But I don't know if they're good as Georgia. And if you pick Alabama over LSU, I have a simple question for you. Like, why? <laughs> I think the, the the overwhelming answer is, well, it's Nick Saban. They'll, they'll figure it out. It's like, okay, maybe. It's within the realm of possibility. But, like, LSU has, like – five, six more players that are more accomplished and maybe better than anyone on Alabama's roster. So, like, what are we doing? What are we talking about? So, like, yeah. I'm not saying they can't do it, but, like, if you're going to rank them, like, I think it is a delineation of, like, the people who are paying attention and whose opinions I respect a little bit more, I think, are 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 clearly, like, yeah, LSU's, like, the dude. And the people who are just, like, well, it's Nick Saban. They've been recruiting really well. They'll be fine. It's like, have you ever actually looked at their personnel? You know, beyond the quarterback situation, yeah. you know, we know the recruiting rankings, but like, you also have to like watch guys and like you see guys. And we talk about this on the SEC I think this preview. might be the first time, Dave, that a mm-hmm. team has a 90% uh, blue chip ratio ever. Maybe. And when you, it is a funny time to say, have you looked at their personnel? Because it's like, yes, they are the deepest team in college football. But there isn't a proven ent- entity on the There's roster. Not a lot of the same guys that, that you, pop. That's what I, you see. But they might pop. Forever. They, they might. might pop. They're going like people on this roster will pop eventually. But one team has Harold Perkins and one doesn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like the and then so like I I get on board with what you're saying. I don't think that LSU is going to win the national title this year. I think they've got some depth issues. Uh, maybe if they can stay if they can stay healthy all year. Um, but yeah, so I think the benefit of the doubt for Alabama at least between you know the people who are paying attention, they're not just going to walk into the playoff this year. They've got to go and figure it out. And whether or not they do it, I think, is an interesting thing to watch. So um, I guess I, I, I cut you off there. Do you have anything else you want no, to add I think on that? I think we're good. I, I'll, I'll lean into my next point, which yeah. is another cash-based point, Ari, which is that in the collective era, I I, I don't think cash just fixes everything. I think if you go in and you are one of the schools that are aggressively paying recruits, certainly not inducing Ari. No one would ever do that. Obviously, they have too much honor, too much respect for the game. Every time I hear the word <laughs> inducing, I just think of pregnancies. Yeah, and I gotta fix that. It's hard not to. I think we're at that age, Ari. I think that's how that goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Texas A&M was kind of the poster child for this—a team that talented. I believe. I think we got to the last week of. Uh, of the conference schedule in the SEC, and there was one team in the league that was not playing for bowl eligibility, and that was Texas A&M. <laughs> I 
I think I have yeah. that stat right. And it's amazing. And I, and I think there's chemistry issues. I think if you are if guys aren't really buying into the program, but they're like, well, you know, I'm going to make more going here. I think coaches have to be really careful with how you build a roster. I, I think that it, it when money gets involved, talent's not that simple. And, you know, I think there's an element of what do you care about the most? You know, if you're, you know, if you, if you signed up to be a part of Nick Saban's program, you know, they, they are not sweet talking you in that recruiting process. They tell you it's going to be hard. Like you're pretty prepared. There's not a deep programming that has to happen when you get there. You know what's happening when you join Alabama's program. Is that same type of thing happening at, at A&M? You know, do you really want to be there because you believe in this program and you want to, to buy all these things? And if you're not, I mean, we saw a, an exodus from the program after the season. A bunch of guys that got there didn't go well, really talented guys, and left. And, and what does that mean? Um, I don't know about their future, but I think the idea that you could just build a roster um, with a bunch of money, you know, through a collective and that's going to work, it might. I don't think that's it's not as simple as as recruiting in the in the more, you know, traditional times, you know, five, ten years ago. The thing that I can't stand about covering college football sometimes is that we have to make everything feel like or uh, there's an expectation from fans who listen and read us that like everything's a fairy tale. And that everything is just the the movie Rudy, um, and like you know, remember the Titans where the team comes together and they love the university that the players do the same way that you do. You know, you've got. So your, hang on, your, are you telling me that it's possible that some players didn't sign up to play for Texas A and M or any school because of the Yell leaders and because they loved the 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 interlocking T A and M logo? Are you telling I me? I think that. Probably half of the team on the most talented teams in college football knew nothing about the place two years before they got they went there. Like I yeah, think that's that there are right there, was, a lot of there are a lot of players that on college rosters that don't know what conference their team plays in or who's on their schedule or the cool tradition that they have at their place. Like the fans' um, beauty of their program, the, the the eye of the beholder, you know, the way that they view it and all the traditions and the things that you do on campus and the memories that you made there while going to school there, these people on the team, coaches and players don't love that place, but as much as you do, mm-hmm. and we can't flowery, you know, make it flowery all the time. That said, I do buy into the notion that chemistry is a very important thing when it comes to building a successful football team. You need players who like each other. That's you not need what coaches Dion who said, are dedicated. Uh, what did Dion say? I don't care if my players like each other. I don't care about culture. <laughs> that's good. Well, we'll we'll find out how uh, how we'll that see. Works that's out a, that's a first. I never heard a coach say that. Were you that in the room? Were you in the room uh, when he said mm-hmm. that? I was. Yes. Did you giggle? I did not. I think it. Here, here's the thing. I mean, we're not going to be able to get through a podcast without talking about Dion at some point this year. Well, especially if you're on it. Yeah. Yeah. He has had so much success in his life at almost everything that he has done that, like, the skepticism and the piece I wrote over the weekend lays out a lot of the reasons for skepticism around Colorado. But, like, you kind of just have to let him talk and, like, we'll see how the results go. Like, I don't really know. Like, you know, maybe there's some element of him that that he's correct. I don't know. I mean, I think people thought him going to Jackson I mean, the State guy was has a joke. Been- the guy's been, been nothing but net for three decades. Nothing yeah. but net 
for three That's decades. the whole thing of all this is like, I don't disagree. All the points that people make, like why this is going to be terrible in Colorado and all that stuff, I think it's going to be an improvement because you've inherited a thing taking down the front foundation. But like, at the end of the day, a lot of people were saying the exact same stuff when he went to Jackson State and he but built the, he if built you the most buy dominant into program. the notion that he doesn't care about culture and doesn't care if his team likes each other is a complete contradiction to your point. So, like, which which way do you land on this? Because I, I, I think, think it's, that I culture think it's matters a lot. I think it does matter a lot if you're trying to build a sustainable program over time. I don't know how long he'll be there. And I think Dion, I think all of the norms and the rules of college football in a lot of ways, because of the force of personality, apply in probably a lesser way. With Dion, and he also does have a good staff, but I, I think we'll see um, what that looks like. But I, you know, I definitely think he's wrong about that. But in his specific case, it might work. You know, we'll see. I, I think the thing that will test is if they do lose games this year, which, based on the way their schedule, you know, they're probably going to start, a, you know, one and four. Um, maybe they steal a game or two in there. But if you start losing games, how do you handle that? Do you keep guys that got there in the summer invested? That's, I think, going to be the biggest test for Dion. But I there are a lot of people lot. and a lot of programs that have put your theory to test. Like there is a quarterback who is on a roster this year who got paid $8 million to go to the school that he's going to. Mm-hmm. You know, like this isn't this isn't a, a unique to Texas A&M thing. You know, NIL and collectives and buyouts and inducements and all the things, whether or not we wanted to acknowledge they exist, they exist everywhere. And players go all the time to places that they don't owe anything about because they're getting paid the most. And I would take exception to the notion that money can't fix everything if you think there's a chance that a team that doesn't like each other could be functional. I think the reason why Texas A&M is dysfunctional. I think you're playing with fire if they don't. I think that the reason why Texas A&M has been dysfunctional is because they've done everything but they've done everything but emphasize the importance of chemistry. I mean, even if you go look at Bobby Petrino and Jimbo Fisher on the same staff right now, that could go really well, and Texas A&M could be very good this year, or you could you know, forget to do something in a chemistry lab, and it could explode in the most glorious way possible. And it's like you don't have these types of questions or what-ifs at most other programs. Mm-hmm. So I'm just saying, like, I do think that money can fix everything uh, if you buy into the notion that you just need to get the players on your team and keep them there, regardless of how they feel about the coaching staff or their peers. But I don't think that you could have an 85-man roster in a sport where teamwork is this important and not like each other. Um, and from that standpoint, I agree with your point, and I don't think that you can buy a national championship roster. We'll see how this goes in four and five, six years on the line in NIL, but I don't know if any of the teams that are most rumored to be heavy NIL big hitters actually made the type of move that you would expect them to make, right? Like, I guess AM signed the greatest class on paper, in history of recruiting, you know, and the assumption is that NAL played a big part of it, but Tennessee is another program that people think is, is a, I mean, they're the ones with the most competent uh, collective, right? And they came out of the gate swinging, but I don't look at their recruiting class last year and go, holy shit, this team's going to win a national championship. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, they've got a long way to go before they're, they're on par with their peers in the SEC. So, you know, can money fix everything? I th- I'm right now I'm with you that it can't, uh, but I'm very, very certain that there are certain teams that are going to be putting your theory to, to the test here, and we're going to yeah. see who's right and who's wrong. And there's going to be a lot of money spent to to figure out whether or not that hypothesis is right or wrong. I think the idea is that when you're pumping money into things, that this can't miss. And I think my point is that it can. 
<laughs> yeah. So this kind of goes into your first one, and I'm very curious about your thought process on this. Um, so your first one was, do stars matter in all settings or whatever? This one is, are we 100% sure that you need to have a first-round NFL draft pick at the quarterback position to win a national championship? Yes. I remain unconvinced. I think people really underrated how good Stetson Bennett was. And it's not about tools necessarily. I'm not. I'm going to change your point. I don't think you need a first-round quarterback. I think you need an impact player. I don't think you can do it without an impact player. So Max Duggan was an impact player, right? Yes. Stetson Bennett made impact plays, but there was a certain stretch there with you know the Trevor Lawrence run and the Deshaun Watson run and the Tua run and a lot of things where they had first-round NFL draft picks there. And it mm-hmm. felt like the only way that you could do it all and go all the way is by having a first round NFL draft pick. And I don't know that that is the case anymore because there were two teams last year who played for a national championship um, who didn't have a first round pick. At, at the I position. think I think it got I think it got muddled. OK, because we did have such a run of like generational talents at quarterback that people assumed that. But I think it's not so much what the NFL thinks here, guy. I think you have to have a guy that wins you games. I don't think Jake Coker can win a national title in 2023, right? I don't think that, you know, Brody Croyle or Greg McElroy, I don't think that can work anymore. You don't need, like, you know, Trevor Lawrence or, you know, two, you don't, I don't think you need a first-round pick, but you need a guy that wins you games, that actively affects the outcomes of games and makes plays that not a lot of guys can make. That doesn't have anything to do with his tools. And I think with Stetson, you look at the plays, he was able to make clutch throws, Plays with his legs. Yes, yep. the tools aren't there. The size aren't there. But you you cannot look at what Georgia did last year, the last two years, and not say, like, Stetson Bennett, heck of a player, made them a lot better, made a ton of plays that made an acute impact on that season. And that's, I think, what you need. Yeah, so that is the point here, which is for a while there, it started to feel like if you don't have a five-star quarterback who's going to be playing on Sundays – Mm-hmm. You don't have a shot to win a national championship. And I think Stetson Bennett proved, especially if you're on a team that's as deeply talented as Georgia was, that just being a functional uh, playmaker who doesn't turn the ball over and can make, you know, critical throws or first downs when in critical positions, that that would be enough. Because um, it's just like I'm bringing this up in the context of, you know, the three favorites to win the national championship this year in Vegas are Ohio State, Georgia and Alabama. And are we sure that any of them have a first round pick starting this year? Like, obviously, a lot can change between now and April. Yeah. You know, Kyle McCord or Devin Brown and, you know, Jalen Milrow or the other nine players on the Alabama team or, you know, Carson Beck. Like, I don't know. It's not like they have Trevor Lawrence walking through the doors at any of those places. In fact, um, two uh, the two best quarterbacks in college football this year are Drake May and Caleb Williams, um, both of whom have a long, long way to go from a team perspective. To Clear even be playing in the terrible. college football playoff, because like, <laughs> I mean, I feel like their defense is the athletic terrible. staff. Well, I know, but I'm saying the athletic staff could probably line up 11, 11 people and score points on both of those teams. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that said, I used to just think that you'd have to have a Drake May type player on your team to do it. And last year, the two teams that played for a national championship, um, you know, not only played for the national championship, but you know, other. 
top five picks last year. Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young didn't make it to the championship game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very it's just like quarterback recruiting is such a critical topic. And, you know, getting the five star guy is is proven that your program is the epitome of healthy. Um, but really, there's a huge difference between what a player can do in the NFL and what a really good college quarterback looks like. Um, and those two things don't have to be equal in order for you to win a national championship anymore. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that's an exciting proposition. So it's like TCU is the perfect example of, you know, this pa- this year they're signing a kid named House Haney, who's a three-star prospect, um, and he's out of Alito, Texas. Uh, me and you have a connection there, uh, if you remember. And uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss this off yeah, the air, yeah. <laughs> and we'll discuss this off the air and on the air eventually. Um, yeah. But he's like a five foot nine quarterback who has a monster arm, as fast as hell, like <laughs> runs like Olympic track times, and like is a three star guy because he isn't tall enough. And it's like that mm-hmm. guy is going to go to TCU, and in three years, he's going to be one of the best players in the Big Twelve, and if not the country. That's why I would have liked like, to have seen Mason Fine at a bigger program. It's just I was, I was been, very curious. I mean, like, I think the best, like, I covered Ohio State for 10 years, and the best quarterback who played there was Braxton Miller. That guy wouldn't sniff a snap at the quarterback mm-hmm. position at the next level. But in college, he was tremendous. There's a mm-hmm. huge difference between those two things, and I think, like, what you said is true. You have to have a college playmaker, but it doesn't matter if he's a prototypical six foot three, 225 guy mm-hmm. that can run pretty quickly and, and throw the ball 80 yards in the air. He just has to be able to make plays in college. And the thing that... I think people really don't realize is you don't have to have that strong of an arm in college and you don't have to make Aaron Rodgers like throws in the NFL no. to be able to be a really good college player. And there's you just a lot have to of be dynamic that can, that can, that can, that can mask the, those things. The, the, yeah. Yes, that I think so. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's my four um, and mine. It kind of bleeds into my five, but I'll let you mm-hmm. go and then we'll, we'll, we'll wrap it back around. Well, your four actually bleeds into mine because I think we are in a very different era of college football in the transfer portal era has changed how you build as a first year coach. And that is plug and play QBs and scheme. They can change everything pretty much overnight. Uh, Washington, I think is the best, uh, best example of this, a team that, you know, ranked outside of the top 100 in every offensive category, something like that under Jimmy Lake their last year, they bring in Kalen DeBoer who had some success at Indiana. They bring in, uh, and obviously at Fresno State, they bring in uh, Michael Penix from Indiana. They they get those two boys back together, and they made some magic. And I think they're going to do it again this year. Uh, we saw that again, obviously, with Lincoln Riley uh, and uh, Caleb Williams. To a lesser extent, uh, Kenny Dillingham and uh, Bo Nix under Dan Lanning at Oregon. This year, what does that mean for Tanner Mordecai in Wisconsin? You know, Luke Fickle comes in there. You change your offensive system. You bring in a quarterback, and there's a lot of other pieces and a lot of things that have to go in there. But I think you can see like a spike overnight, which was not possible. Uh, what two, three years ago for a new coach? I think we're in a new era of college football in the sort of microwave offense era. I'm very curious because you're right about that. I'm very curious what happens in year two of that when that happens. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think a lot of people are looking at Kalen DeBoer and Washington as a as a team that you know is one of the two favorites or three favorites to win the Pac-12 this year and go to the playoff. And it's like, um, is the shot in the arm that you get by doing the quick flip and, you know, adding the the quarterback and the scheme change into your system to um, get some immediate results, a good long-term trajectory? Because that's the thing that always scares me with the portal, Dave. It's like portal evaluation is key, um, and those things do change everything. But how hard is it to consistently be good at evaluating the portal 
I think part of it's luck and part of it's being able to convince guys that are already good to come to your program. Mm -hmm. Um, And can you actually build a sustainable model um, through the portal? And I think Florida State might be on the verge of showing us that you can because that way, because they did so well in the portal for for a few years, and now it's bleeding into high school recruiting. Um, And they might be able to get back under uh, Mike Norvell because of it. So uh, you are 100% correctly, but where's your take on longevity and, you know, the built-to-last aspect of this? I think they're two separate things. I think you can you can do the short fix and then hit the recruiting trail. That gives you time. That gives you a proof of concept to sell. You kind of saw this at Tennessee a little bit, right? You give them a year where, okay, you have Hendon Hooker. Um, you have uh, Josh Heupel. You bring in a new system. You have a new quarterback. And now you got something to sell on the recruiting trail. Now, all of a sudden, you're recruiting five-star receivers. You're getting five-star quarterbacks. The collective money can't hurt. Uh, so I think it's not an either or. I think it's an and both. Um, hey, let's win now. Let's get a guy now that we believe. And then let's take this and sell this on the recruiting trail and build something sustainable. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I'm with you on that. Okay, my last one here. Kind of bleeds into it a little bit. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Is Georgia the new Alabama? Um, and that might sound kind of funny to you, but my question is, and I've listened to a lot of podcasts and college football talk shows the last few months, and a lot of people say that what Nick Saban did is unprecedented and probably will never happen again. Mm-hmm. And every single time I hear them say that, I go, are you watching what's happening right now? I'm like, like this is literally happening again right in front of our eyes. Like, is your take on the way that Georgia is recruiting, the way it's situated this year, the fact that they've won two national championships in a row. Like, if you had to just, I just wanted to blanket ask this. If you had to guess how many national championships Georgia will win in the next 10 years, what would your guess be? I'd probably take the over on two and a half. Okay. It's really hard to win a title. I So, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to disagree with you uh, somewhat. Georgia has surpassed Bama as the class of the sport. What I think made Alabama's run so impressive is the sustainable uh, power of the program in so many different iterations. And Saban keeping his culture, changing his offense when it looks so much different on the field, uh, you know, embracing the process and hiring a bunch of new coaches. That is going to be a reality for Kirby Smith, and this will be, or Kirby Smart, and this will be the year that we figure out, can you do some of those same things? You've reached the mountaintop. It's really hard to reach it. It might be even harder to stay there, and you've had to make two coordinator hires, obviously, um, in the last couple years. Uh, you, You bring in Mike Bobo. Now you're making a quarterback change. Can you keep that going as you lose staffers and as you lose quarterbacks? Because Nick Saban did that time and time again. And that, I think, is what separated him and made him so great. Obviously, doing it at multiple places is part of that. But keeping a program without having it fall off for, I mean, Bama has been the class of the sport since, like, what, pretty much the 08, 09 season? That's almost that's 15 years where they've been a top four program and they're still going to be a great program, even if not the absolute best. I think Georgia clearly has passed them on that. But sustaining it is so hard, you know. Look at Pete Carroll. Look at Urban Meyer. Look at uh, you know uh, the Miami teams with with Coker and uh, uh, I'm forgetting the coach that preceded him. Um, 
Butch Davis. Uh, it's hard to maintain it for long amounts of time. Usually it's like about a five-year window where you kind of go up and it works and then it comes back down. So this will be the year that I think we'll learn, can Georgia sustain it? The lopsided nature of the sport is just getting worse, man. It's yes. just not the same as it used to be. I don't know. I just don't know if you can use and like, listen, those early 2000 Miami teams had as big of a talent advantage against their opponents as anybody that you could come across in today's game. Um, but the way that Georgia is recruiting right now, I almost I don't know if it's the if a, a controversial thing to say it might make your head explode, but. Any competent coordinator is going to be fine there. You know, they have so much talent and so much advantage. It's like, do they even need to play the regular season to know that they're two games away from winning a national championship this year? Like, they're about to get three in a row, probably. I mean, I don't know what, what team I would pick more comfortably to win the national championship on August 15th than them right now. And I, I think that that's probably something that you would agree with. Even they're with definitely all the, the best team. I don't, know that like they're they're gonna, the I don't know that they're going to get there, but they're the best team, no question. But they're going to be in the playoff. Like, what would have to happen for them not to make the playoff? I mean, I don't even know. Like some HBO sci-fi series shit would have to happen in that. Yeah, Athens, I, I, even I mean, quarterback injury. I think they could still be okay. Yeah, like the schedule, they'll be just, fine. It's not good. Mm -hmm. So they're going to be two games away in an indoor dome with a huge talent advantage with whoever they play uh, to win three in a row. Um, mm -hmm. And I know how many does Saban have? Does he have eight? I always forget the numbers. It's, I, I, I don't mean to I put know. you on the seven spot. Or, Is it it's seven, seven or eight? eight. So Kirby Smart has a long way to go to do it, but he's young. He's got it rolling. Kirby should there. have he's, three for the record. <laughs> yeah. And also, too, recruiting and owning the sport from Georgia is a lot easier than Tuscaloosa. Yes. I when you go look at true. Alabama's history as a whole, um, they've had two of the greatest coaches in the history of the sport, and they've been pretty fine otherwise. You know, they haven't been elite without those two coaches. Um the sustainability at Georgia, I think, is a lot easier than it would be at Alabama just from a, the way it's situated. Mm -hmm. uh, I think in 10 years, Kirby Smart and his program will be viewed very similarly to the way that we view Alabama now. I think you're um, and I, th I think And I think right. that if they win three in a row, uh, which is a very distinct possibility, like it's like they are on the turbo track to get there. Um, mm -hmm. And they got Dylan Rayola coming in and the recruiting is just so lopsided. I just don't know how. What would have to go wrong for them not to win three or four more in the next ten years? I mean, mm -hmm. he could get there. I think. I think it's on the table there. So, you know, I, mean, I am and have been, you know, at times, especially by Andy, uh, accused of being a prisoner of the moment, and maybe I am right <laughs> now. But I look. I look at what is coming in. I look what's on the roster now, and you know, maybe the new system will just make it harder to win a national championship, and that's yeah. why it won't because. You know, winning all those games in the expanded playoff might be more difficult, but uh, yeah. that's right, just like, holy shit, soon. what's how stopping do you feel about a, How do you feel about a rapid fire round? I got a couple more lessons to throw at you. Okay, you let's do okay. let's do quick ones. Uh, portal evaluation is still key. Listen, I know in the portal era, everyone assumes, well, we got a problem. We'll fix it in the portal. It's fine. Portal hit rate is still basically the same as Juco hit rate. You're about 50% that you can get a guy that you can rely on that can contribute. And half the and time, the 50%, you sit there and by the way, is people that you already know are good. Yes, yeah. Because exactly. there's, there's a lot of people like, oh, Justin Fields is in the portal? Okay, we'll just go get that guy. Yeah. Or Sam Hartman's in the portal? It's a lot easier to evaluate Sam Hartman 
than it is to go get somebody that you, you know, has five snaps of, of tape in college that you haven't yeah. seen play. You know, it's like, I don't even know how, honestly speaking, I don't know how you even do it in most of these cases. Like, yes. what does the evaluation process look like for a team who, for a guy who uh, came into school, hasn't played for two years, wants to transfer somewhere else and his recruitment's open for five days? Like, how yeah. do you, like, how it's do you crazy. even navigate that? Well, you got to do your pre-work. You got to know who's going in. Uh, my, uh, all right, my next one. Breakthroughs in hungry places are, like, incredible. Listen, A&M, yes. you might be next on the board. Last year we saw it at yeah, Tennessee. The, the, game at Al- the game against Alabama was probably – it surpassed Nebraska-Texas A&M in 2010 uh, as the most memorable night of work that I have had. When they've been hungry for so long and they finally get that moment that sort of, like, says that they've arrived – a and M, man. If they get it this year, that's that. They're um, they're they're the one that I'm looking at. That a, a hungry place that that might do some some very special things. Uh, a couple more for you, Ari. Don't fall for the the midseason darlings. It sort of happens, sort of every year. But last year we had some fantastic mm-hmm. ones. Kansas starts five and zero. They win one more game the rest of the year. Syracuse starts six and zero. They also win one more game every year. Uh, and Ari. I didn't do this last year, but a lot of people did, and people are doing it again this year. Stop overlooking Utah. Don't do it. Don't do it. It was funny because I did the Pac-12 preview show <laughs> with Chris Vanini on uh, on Tuesday, and one of did the you prompts, guys overlook and I didn't Utah. Write the prompt. Well, no, the prompt was uh, USC, Oregon, and Washington. Will th- these three teams make up the two? <laughs> uh, that play in the championship I was like, I think maybe we should put Utah in there too. Cause you know, they, they're, they're the two time defending champs and they play a certain style uh, that seems to be the kryptonite for the finesse teams on the West coast. So yes, yeah. I'm with you on all those things. I picked them to go to the um, playoff last year. And then I backed off of it when they lost to Florida and all they did was win the pac 12 again. <laughs> well, I mean, when they lost to Florida, you were right. They weren't going to make the playoff again, but yeah, listen, I don't know about you, but I feel like if Caleb Williams, I was at the game. Uh, in Vegas, the Pac-12 mm-hmm. championship game. I feel like if he didn't get hurt, they probably would have lost. Uh, Utah would have lost that game to USC. And but he did, U- and they U- didn't. No, I know. I'm just saying, like <laughs> you know, it took some circumstance. USC has to, you know, has a lot to fix. But you know, I still think that USC is probably the class. I mean, but by the way, go look at USC's schedule though. It's pretty pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. If you go look at the second half of that of that schedule. So all right, Dave, uh, that was a good show. Uh, sorry again for, uh, you know, making you seasick because the computer was bouncing up and down. And, uh, you know, I've got a boat picture behind me, but All right, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back. You know, we made it through. We'll be back in the office here long. next week. And, you know, I feel like I've spent two days in my own bed in August and I'm like starting to get a little tired of it. But, hey, please, 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 please uh, subscribe everywhere that you can, wherever you listen to your podcast, rate and review. It helps expand our audience. It helps legitimize us as a place to to be uh, for college football fans and authority on the sport. And of course, if you want to subscribe and and watch on the YouTube channel, the link to the channel can be found in our, our show's description. We will continue to preview uh, the college football season as we approach week zero here in two weeks, Dave, Uh, it's coming. Cannot wait. So stick with us and get prepared and get excited. And that was until Saturday.